Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. How does God choose me before he even built the world? Uh, this is where we have to come in faith, right? God knows, God, is, God lives outside of time. When you weren't saved and you were cutting up, God knew that you would be saved right now, if you are saved, right? God knew what you would be. So I look back at my life when I didn't know the Lord and I was running amok and I didn't know I was gonna be saved. I had no intention of doing what I do right now, but God knew back then what I would be and what I would be doing, he knew. Most of us have had an experience of being in a dark time in our life. We try the hardest to pull ourselves out of its clutches, but often we can't find a way out. Today, Pastor Bill explains that the only way to break free from darkness is to follow Jesus. If you rely on yourself to get out, you'll never find the serenity that you're looking for. When's the last time you experienced real rest? God wants to answer your prayers. Let him pull you out of the dark times in your life. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Titus chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Titus chapter 1. I got to point this out just before we get started. Um, where the, the collection of books that we're in, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, um, they're, they're kind of grouped as pastoral epistles. These are letters written to men that were going to kind of fulfill some kind of pastoral ministry for the, for the Apostle Paul in his absence. Um, where does Titus fit? It, it's come. It comes after 2 Timothy, but the time frame that it was actually written in, it would have been between First and Second Timothy. So there's First Timothy. Titus is written somewhere in between First and Second, even though in the Bible it comes afterwards. So if any guys had like a chronological Bible and you opened it up, uh, Titus would be in the middle of those two books. Uh, it's written by the Apostle Paul, written to Titus, and like I said, it's a letter to someone that's going to be fulfilling a ministry, serving. This is something unique and specific about this book, Titus. Different than Timothy. For you guys who went to Timothy with me, what was one of the characteristics of Timothy that um, that we learned about? What was what was Timothy like? His character. He was timid. So Paul was always having to kind of encourage him to, you know, like man, just, just be strong, you know, and encouraging him to preach the word and not be scared and not worry about other things. Titus is kind of a different character. If you look at the two places where God used, where God used, and where Paul felt comfortable sending Titus, they were difficult places. He used Titus in Corinth. Um, for you guys know anything about the Corinthian church, it was a carnal, jacked up church. They were a mess. Um, they were doing sins that the world didn't do. And when Paul was leaving people in, in charge in his absence in, in, in uh, Corinth, Corinth, Titus is one of the guys that Paul felt like he could handle uh, this, the difficult nature of this. Now, the book of Titus, as we're going to look at now, he's going to be left in this area called Crete, which is a, another area that's very difficult, where um, difficult in this way. There were people that had strong religious beliefs, but they were wrong. And so how many of you guys here have ever tried to share your faith with someone in your family that was maybe a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or they had some belief, but it was just a wrong belief. Anybody tried that? Um, it's difficult. I'd rather start with some dude on the corner that know he ain't right. Um, it's easy. You know, he I know, I know, I know, I know I need help. You know, it's just easy. But when you got someone that's like, no, I know the truth, but the truth that they know is not the truth. It's it's you got to unravel some pride and um, it's just a lot stickier. And sometimes people just don't they quit. They don't think it's a wor it's worthwhile. It is worthwhile. And Paul is encouraging Titus in this sort of ministry. So look at chapter one, 
verse one, Titus, it says, Paul, a bond servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. So a whole mouthful right there. So first of all, Paul, as he says in many of the beginnings of his letter, he calls himself a bond servant of God. If you write definitions, uh, this is the definition of a bond servant. It is this. It's one who is in a permanent relation of servitude to another, his will all can altogether consume in the will of the other. So one more time, uh, a, a bond servant is one who is in a permanent relation of servitude to another. So this person is, they're in a permanent relationship where they serve someone else. And it says his will altogether consumed in the will of the other. So when Paul says, I'm a bond servant of God, He's saying, look, I, I, I've died in my will. I'm no longer fulfilling my agenda for this life. I'm no longer doing my own thing. I'm in a permanent relationship of servitude to Jesus. My will is consumed in the will of God. That's where we all want to end up, guys. That's where we want to be, a place where we've laid down our will, we've laid down our own wants, desires, and we say, God, have your way in my life. That's the best life. That's the best approach to this life is to really give it to the Lord. Because how many people have said, I gave my life to the Lord. But when you look at what they're doing, they're doing them. They're doing their own thing. That's a common uh, a vernacular. That's a common phrase in our, our culture right now. I'm just going to do me. What does that mean? That means I'm going to just do what I want for me, about me. I'm going to do what I like. Um, but for the believer, that's not how we're called to live. We're called to lay our, our desires, lay our life down. I have to trust God to do that, right? I can't lay my life down and give it to God completely if I think, because some people do think, if I give God my life, if I just give my whole life to God, He's going to be boring. He's going to make me marry somebody ugly. You know, he's going to make me do some stuff that's not going to be, you know, I don't want to do like some people believe that God is mean. Like if I give my life to God, he's going to do things that he's going to he's going to jack my life up. And all you got to do is do you long enough and you realize you jacked your own life up. So you ought to go ahead and give God a try. But anyway, Paul, Paul says, I'm Paul. He says, I'm a bond servant of God. Then he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. So Paul says, look, I'm, I'm a bond servant. I've surrendered my life to the Lord. I'm also an apostle. He always had to tell people I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, that God made him an apostle because they were always challenging his role as an apostle, his, his authority. And so he would let them know that he says, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. And I, I don't I don't want to do a whole thing on election, but I, I, it's brought up. So I got to say something on it. What does it mean to be God's elect? Because some people have taken that too far. It simply means this. If you're God's elect, that means that God chose you. And anybody here that's a believer, God chose you. Now, what we do is start thinking. We're like, well, wait a minute. If God chose you, did he not choose the other? My friends that ain't saved, did God not choose them? Like, we, we want to know how election works. How does God make his decision? How does he choose? And that's where it kind of gets all messed up. Um, I won't go real heavy in it, but there's a whole group, Calvinists, the, the Calvinist view. They take this thing of election. They said, not only has God elected you for salvation, but he's also elected this person for hell. Can't find that in your Bible. Um, God says, it's my will, uh, 2 Peter 3, 9, that all, that, um, that all would repent, that all would come to him, that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. If God had it his way, everybody would turn from their sin, turn to him and be forgiven. He obviously doesn't get his way because he's given us free will. So some of us don't choose to submit, to surrender our will to God. So 
a couple verses. Um, if you're writing notes, I'd like you to write these down. Have them for your, your own reference later. Write down Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 3 and 4. It deals lightly with election. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So God, look, I chose you before the foundation of the world. How does that work? Like, how, how does God choose me before he even built the world? Uh, this is where we have to come in faith, right? God knows, God, is, God lives outside of time. When you weren't saved and you were cutting up, God knew that you would be saved right now, if you are saved, right? God knew what you would be. So I look back at my life when I didn't know the Lord and I was running amok and I didn't know I was going to be saved. I had no intention of doing what I do right now. But God knew back then what I would be and what I would be doing. He knew. That blows me away because when I look at all the stuff that could have happened that didn't happen, when I look at the trouble that I should have got in that I didn't get in, when I look at the, the charges that should have stuck that didn't stick, I'm like, God knew what I was going to be. He knew back then when I didn't know him, didn't think of him, didn't acknowledge him, he knew that I would be his one day before the foundation of the world. Also write this down. Write down Romans 8. Um, Romans chapter 8, 28 through 30. We all know. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But listen to these next two verses. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Well, God says, well, for whom he foreknew, he predestined. So don't forget that God doesn't choose like we do, right? For everybody here that's married, maybe you guys that are single, Right. If, if you were able, I'll, I'll say single, if you're married, it's a done deal. I don't want you to think about it. If you're single, if you're single right now and, and you had foreknowledge, if you could look into the future and know that the person that you were thinking about choosing was going to one day, you know, just change your whole mind about you, walk away, dish you and go after somebody. If you had that knowledge, would you choose them? No. Right. Because you don't have foreknowledge. So that's why y'all need to pray before you enter into a relationship, because the one that has foreknowledge will tell you, no, no, that's not, I know it looks good. But he's not the one. I know she seems like the one, but she's not the one. She's not even half the one. He can let you know, right? But if you don't seek him, right, God has something you don't have. He has foreknowledge. He can see what you can't see. Uh, Pastor Chuck would use this illustration. Not that I condone uh, gambling or going to the horse track, but for if, if you were to go to the horse track and you knew the horses that would win, would you pick a losing horse? You would. You would just pick winners. You'd be there all day picking winners. I, I pick Lucky Black and <laughs> Green Stripe. You know, you'd just be picking winners all day. So God has something we don't have. We don't have foreknowledge. We can't know everything. But God says, but I, I, who me foreknew, right? Before you knew me, I knew you. Before you knew what you would be, I knew what you would be. Before you knew that you would choose me, I knew that you were going to choose me. And so God has the ability to choose um, according to his foreknowledge. And so people struggle over that. Shouldn't be a big deal. I'm just glad he chose me. How do you find out if God chose you? How do you figure that out? Anybody? If you're wondering if God chose you, if he elected you, how do you figure out if you are elected or chosen by God? Huh? Say it loud. Say it like you mean it. Huh? Okay. 
This is how, this is how it works. The, the way you find out if he chose you is you respond to him. You really don't know otherwise. As long as you walk in loss, you might not be chosen. <laughs> you might not. You might not be. But but it, it, it's, it's a hard concept for us because like, well, then if God chose you, does it mean that God make you turn to him? No, he just knew that you would. But also he knows those that won't. And so he didn't choose them. God knows those that are going to not walk with him. God knows those that are never going to choose him. God knows those that are going to reject him until they die and go to hell. He knows that, too. It grieves him, but he knows. And so according to uh, it says, uh, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. And I just got to point that out, that the whole goal of learning the truth, you guys, is that it would make us more godly. Um, Some people are interested in knowing the truth, knowing the word, because they want to sound smart. They want to win an argument. They want to know more than somebody else. But but the goal of what we're doing today, the goal of studying the word, reading the word, being in the word is that it would make me more like God. So it has everything to do with how you come to the word. Um, I don't want to come to God's word like a lawyer arguing points. I want to come to God's word like James. James says the word of God is like a mirror. And everybody here probably stood in a mirror at some point this morning. Um, Hope you did. And you check yourself out and you make sure you get the junk out your eyes. And some of you women paint your faces and you just look in the mirror. The mirror shows you what you are and whatever you don't like, um, you fix if, if you can. <laughs> so uh, you do the best you can. But the, I know we can't fix everything we don't like, but you know what I'm saying. But you, 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 you look in the mirror and you make adjustments. You fix what you can fix. The word of God is like a mirror. When I look into this spiritual mirror, I see some things that are not right. That God says it should be like this, but it's like that. And so I know I need to change. And now I know I need to wipe that off. I know I need to repent of that. I, I see things I need to put on. I see things that I need to take off. And so the word and the truth of God is, is the goal of it is to transform us. It's a transforming word. Um, and so we want to be careful how we come to the word um, that we aren't always coming to, you know, let me, let me study this thing so I can argue this point with the person at work. Or I can prove this fact over here. I also want to come to the word as a worshiper. I want to come to the word as someone that just wants to know God better. Um, that God can make me more like him, that God is transforming me from what I was into what he wants me to be. And so now verse two, it says in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. I was thinking of this. It says that we have the hope of eternal life. It's a and, and the way that hope is used in scripture. It's not the way we use hope. Um, a lot of times when we use hope, it's kind of like, oh, I hope that happens. Oh, I hope I get to see you guys. It's not a certainty about it. Um, that's not how hope is in Scripture. The hope in Scripture is a certain hope. It's like someone called and said, um, you know, I sent you this package in the mail with a hundred dollars, you know, and it, it, it should be there. Oh, I hope it comes today. I know it's coming, though. But I hope, it, you know, there's a, there's a certainty about what's coming. It's just a matter of timing. That's how the, our hope of heaven is. There's a certainty to it. And it has two different aspects. There's a future hope. So for the believer, whatever we may be going through in this life here and now, we have a hope about the future. I, I know when this time is over, I know what, what awaits me. It's a future hope, but it's also a, a present hope. And so if you're writing notes, write down Philippians 3, 20 and 21. It's a future hope. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says this. For our citizenship is in heaven from whom we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is 
able even to subdue all things. And so we're looking forward. There's a future hope. We're looking forward to a day where there's going to be a new heavenly body. God's going to transform us from what we are. Um, some of us, maybe more than others, looking forward to the eternal body, um, the one that will never die, the one that's created for heaven, the one that will never get sick. We have that as a future hope. But then um, write down John 5, uh, 24. And in John's gospel, chapter 5, verse 24, it lets us know that it's also a present hope. From the moment you believe, John 5, 24 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so I know from the moment that I believe, from the moment that you have believed, God, that you have passed from that moment, you move from death to life. And there's a certainty about your condition before God. You're not perfect. You, you may still see blemishes and, and things that need work, but have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you heard his word and believed that God said, if you have, then you have passed from death to life. You are no longer spiritually dead, but you are spiritually alive. And that's a hope that we can cling to because something that the enemy would like to do to a lot of us is every time you fail, Satan would like to say, you're not, you're not really saved. You don't really belong to God. God doesn't really want you. And he'll be throwing them arrows, throwing them fiery darts. Um, you need to be able to combat them fiery darts with his word. God said, no, but I, but I believed. And did God say that believers would never mess up? No. He said, when you do, 1 John 1, 9, that you confess, he's faithful just to forgive you and to cleanse you. He says, you won't, you won't continue habitually in some rebellion, but will you fall? Yeah, but the righteous fall seven times. And what does he do? He gets back up. Did you get back up? Okay, so we just need to know that, right? I need to know that it's, it's a, I got a future hope. I'm looking forward to heaven one day. But right now, it should secure me. I know I'm saved. There should be a security about our life as believers that I have passed from death to life. I belong to the Lord. Just, just, just taking him at his word. And so, again, it says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie. Just a reminder, the one who promised you eternal life can't lie. One thing God can't do. You know, is anything too hard for God? Yes. It's too hard for God to lie. You know, now we know there's nothing God that he wants to do. He can't do. But part of the nature of who God is, is that he can't lie because he doesn't just tell the truth. He is the truth. He's the way, the what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through him. So God doesn't just tell the truth. He is the truth. And so if he says it, you just believe it. It's settled right there. God said it. You don't have to know how it works. You don't have to understand all the bits and pieces. You just know that God said that. I believe it. Done. I just receive it by faith because he can't lie. You can so uh, <laughs> moving on, uh, verse three, it says, but in but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me, according to the commandment of God, our savior. And so this is just Paul's introduction saying, hey, God's committed to me the preaching of this truth of his word. Uh, Paul recognized that was God's call upon his life. That's what he had committed his life to. He left everything he used to do, used to be to pursue this call upon his life. And everywhere Paul went, he went teaching the word, sharing the gospel, raising up men, raising up leaders to continue the work as he went. And so this letter is written to Titus. Look at verse four to Titus, a true son in our common faith. So he says the same thing about Timothy. He called Timothy a true son. If you can have a true son, what can you have also? False son. So Paul recognized over the years of doing ministry that everybody wasn't true, that there were some people that he had that were like, well, you know, uh, he had some people that flaked on him. He had some people that turned their back on him. He had some people that stabbed him in the back. He said at one point, man, I've been in peril among false brethren, people turning on him, turning him over to the to the leadership or whatnot, to the, the, the Jerusalem and Jerusalem. So Paul said, look, but Titus, just like Timothy, true son. 
Um, just there's no doubt in my mind. I trust him. I count on him. These are men that Paul would say, hey, I, I, I'm going to send these guys in my place. When I leave, I'll send them to go do what I can't do because I'm gone. And so this is a character and a nature there that I, I, I hope all of us will strive for as believers. Everybody here knows people in your life that you would say, man, if 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 I couldn't be somewhere, I would trust that person to to do what I wanted. I would trust that person to stand in for me and I just would trust them. And everybody here knows some people that you would say, I don't know how they do. I mean, matter of fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they you know, wouldn't do what I, I need to put up a camcorder if I'm going to leave them. You know, we know people like that. So what's your character like? What's your name? What, what are you like? Right. What do you what are the people that work seeing you? Are you someone they say, oh, we tell her or tell him. We just we don't have to think about it again. We just know that they got that kind of character. Um, that was Titus. A true son, someone that could be trusted, someone that you didn't have to worry about in and, and their absence. Um, you just knew they would carry out what you wanted. Um, as my kids have grown up um, over the different seasons, you know, I'm very me and my wife are very careful about who we leave our kids in the care of and where they can spend the night and where they can't spend the night. And as my daughter, Harmony, when she was real little, uh, you guys know what I call her little Mika. Is she like a little mini version of my wife? She think like my wife. She if my wife go away for a women's retreat, but Harmony's home. It's like my wife is still there. I think I got the weekend off. She's like, Dad, Mom, you know, Mom wouldn't want that. Mom, I think Mom said that she wanted to do, man, she's gone for the weekend. I'll put my seatbelt on next week. You know, it's like she's there. But when it came to leaving the kids somewhere, it was like once Harmony was at a certain age, I, as if Harmony was there, it's like one of us there. She knows the program. And so I'm like, Harmony, you're there. We, we, we leave her cell phone in her bag. Say, if anything happened that's not right, go to the bathroom, call me your mom, and, and we'll be there. And sure enough, we left our kids somewhere. Um, we were doing a retreat when I was doing high school ministry. And Harmony didn't like the tone. You guys know my son Billy is autistic. And she didn't like the tone that the father in his home was speaking to my son with. And felt like he, was, like he didn't understand. He was getting frustrated with him. And she went to the bathroom and she's like, Called my wife and just said, I don't like how he's talking. He's, he's getting loud. And you know how Billy doesn't understand at first and he's getting louder and he's saying it louder. And she's like, he sounds mad. And I was like, man, my wife was like, take me now. So we drove to their house at 11 o'clock at night and said, hey, you know, me, my wife's going to be home after all. So we just take the kids. Now, we didn't tell them, you know, we didn't get all on the cables that we'll, we'll collect our kids. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. You know, here's a box of cookies. And um, but I just having her there, we, it put us at peace. It's like it was like it's like one of us was there because my wife was not having nobody yell at her baby. So uh, she said, take me down the mountain now. So we went and. Um, <laughs> But that kind of character Titus had, you know, where it just he said, Man, I just trust him. It'd be like just if I was there. So we want to be people as especially as Christians. We should that should be one thing that sets you apart from your non-believing co-worker, from your unbelieving neighbor. You should be someone that people just say, I just trust you. And maybe they have to grow to know you. But as they get to know you well, people should trust you. Now, people know you well and don't trust you. That's a concern. That's that says something about it. The more they know you, the less they trust that's worrisome. You know, we want to be trustworthy people. That that character should be ours as believers. So again, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, Paul said, we, we believe the same thing. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And just this is all of his intro ends right here, but this is what he said. This is what's coming from God. Grace, mercy, peace from God. Judgment, anger, wrath, malice, no, grace, mercy, and peace. Interesting, 
I want to point that out real heavily because when you look at the ministry Titus is going to be called to, correcting non-believers, setting things straight that are crooked, you think that, you know, all right, then you got a, you got a harsh ministry, but it says, no, this is actually in mercy, right? When I correct a non-believer, when I correct someone that believes the wrong thing, that what they believe will lead them to hell, isn't it merciful for you to say something to them? That's mercy. been listening to a transforming word as Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Titus. This book is another letter penned by the Apostle Paul. Titus was a respected friend and fellow worker in the ministry. Paul had even traveled with Titus to the island of Crete at one point. So when Paul wrote this letter to Titus, it was meant to encourage him in the work that was going on. In a similar way as people before him, Paul counseled Titus to set up some others that could be trusted to uphold things that were true and pure about the Word and about Christianity. You see, many people were trying to corrupt the Scriptures and were trying to establish false teaching. But Paul was reminding Titus of the things that really mattered and that God's Word needed to be protected. Isn't this how it is today, too? There are all kinds of fronts that come at the church and at God's Word on a daily basis. Being solidly grounded in the Word of God is where your efforts should be so that the truth can be spread. We're happy you have been a part of today's edition of A Transforming Word. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. We believe that life is done better in community, and we'd love to have you be a part of ours. We're located in Inglewood, California, so if you're in the area, we'd love to see you come this Sunday at 9 or 11 in the morning. Or you can join us on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Find all the information you need at CalvaryInglewood.org. Well, we'll be back in Titus next time on A Transforming Word.